it's good to be with you guys today. Thank you so much for, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on Memorial Day weekend. And I just kind of want to re-highlight something that Paul said. Um, I absolutely love pastoring the ministry of 710. And uh, God radically changed my life again, uh, my freshman year of college. And so to be able to be in a role where I get to serve and love and care for, um, yeah, the young adults of Redemption Gilbert, I'm just so thankful. And uh, that doesn't happen without you guys giving. Most, a lot of churches don't even have a college and adults ministry. And so I just, I understand how rare it is uh, of what I get to do. And I just want to say thank you for that. So um, yeah, so we'll jump in. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we will be in verse, starting in verse five this morning, and uh, as you're turning there, let, let me uh, pray for our time, and then we'll jump in. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. God, thank you that you have given us the scriptures, Lord, where we can be uh, equipped, changed, and transformed as your spirit takes these words and applies them to our hearts. God, thank you for uh, what you're doing in the world. God, thank you for what you're doing in your people. And thank you for what you're doing here at Redemption Gilbert. Lord, we just want to be changed by you. And so, Spirit, we just uh, stop and we just invite you to come. Uh, God, to fill my words and God, to fill the hearts uh, in this room. God, that we would be changed, that we would leave loving Jesus more, and that we would leave being transformed into his image. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I love the book of Colossians. It's actually one of my uh, favorite books in all of Scripture. And uh, the first chapter of Colossians has actually one of my favorite, favorite verses of all time. And uh, Colossians 1, uh, 13 through 14, it says this. It says, He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, I absolutely love this passage because it talks about this like radical transformation that has already happened for us. Like it's not something that like we're still hoping for. Like Paul says, you have already been transferred from the domain of darkness and that word domain, that means think like rule or power, like the power of darkness, you've actually already been transferred and you've been placed into the kingdom of light. Like we have been radically rescued as the people of God. So every single Sunday, we could come in here and give thanks and praise because that alone is true. Now, the problem that I feel and experience, and maybe you do too, when I read this verse, is that there's a gap between what this verse says and what I actually experience in my life. There's a gap between what this verse says about me as a Christian and versus what I actually experience in my life. It says that I have been transferred and I have been liberated from the power of sin, and then sometimes I feel like the harder that I try to follow Jesus, the bigger that I feel like that gap actually is. Like I've been freed from the power of anger or lust, yet I still experience the power of anger and lust in my life. Do you guys feel that too? And uh, we all have a gap. It may, it may not be anger, it may not be lust, but it may be bitterness. Uh, we confess one thing and, and live something else. It's what the, the world looks in at the church and what they see is us confessing Jesus as Lord and our, like, what they see is not all of us living as if Jesus is Lord. You don't even have to be a follower of Jesus in the room to have a gap, to long to be something but to not actually experience that in your life. And what Paul is writing uh, about today and who he's writing to, he's writing to believers like Colossians 1 who have been transferred into the kingdom of light and have a gap. 
They've already been rescued, but he says, listen, you have a gap and you've already belonged to Christ, yet there's parts of you that don't quite bear his image yet. And you have the power of the spirit. You have the power of the living God to begin to actually make what's true of you actually true in your lived life. And so he's saying, essentially, hey guys, listen, uh, you actually have the power of the living God. And I just feel like I need to say that over and over. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead to become who you actually are. And so uh, that's what Paul's uh, addressing today in, his, in this passage. And uh, so in Colossians 3, uh, starting in verse 5, uh, we're going to see what needs to be transformed and why. And then in our next section, we're going to see how to actually be transformed in our, in our living. And then lastly, we're going to see the result of what actually happens in a community of Jesus followers uh, when transformation takes place. So Colossians 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, before I jump into these verses, let me give a little bit of a, uh, some context, because uh, right off the bat, Paul's going to talk about uh, not sinning sexually and not using our, uh, our, our mouths to, to slander or abuse people. And if you're like, even if you're not like new, like if you're new to the church, you know, like, this is what Christians talk about. Oh, here we go. Like, I get it. Don't have sex and, you know, try not to say bad things. But I, I want to, like, I really want to just kind of step out and say, listen, Paul had a, had a worldview, a way that he viewed the world. And what he viewed was is that we live in a world that was created by God and that he set up a whole way of life that when it is in submission to God's wisdom actually results in the most flourishing and fulfillment that any of us could even ever dream. And what, what the scriptures tell us is that when sin entered God's world, um, it didn't create new things, it just distorted the good that God already had. Sin does not, does not create things, but sin distorts the good gifts that God has given us. And so when Paul is writing to these uh, Colossians, what he's saying is, listen, you've been rescued from the distorted way of living that we all experience out in the world and what I'm calling you to as people who are being remade and rebuilt into the image of Christ is to become the human being that God actually created you to be, to interact with God's gifts, whether it's sex and speech, in the way that he actually designed them. And so what Paul's uh, condemning in this passage, uh, he's not like condemning sex. He's, he's condemning a distorted version of sex. He's not condemning speech. He's condemning a distorted version of speech. These are abuses of God's gifts rather than proper uses of God's gifts. Now think about this for a second. Sex and speech, they're, they're, they're gifts, one, but they have incredible potential. Do they not? For good and evil. We know this in our own life. Uh, the experience, like the bad side of some of these things of like sexual brokenness and how it's hurt us 
how it's hurt people we love, how families are divided over it. Think about speech. Like somebody can like sucker punch you in the jaw and like you can recover, like, you know, just fine. But if somebody says something about you and it's like a barbed wire word and it cuts and bleeds, that can set you off for the rest of your life, can it not? How many of you have memories from something that your parents have said to you when you were like five years old and it still lives with you today? And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, I am so for the flourishing of humanity that I am calling you to put to death anything that actually twists its goodness. Does that make sense? So he starts off with uh, kind of these two lists. Let me talk about them briefly. Uh, So in verse five, he says, put to death uh, distorted sexuality. And he has like five or six words that are kind of like, I think about them as like overlapping words. Like they, they overlap with one another. And he starts with kind of the broad category. He says sexual morality. So he starts broad and then he works his way all the way down to greed. And what he's getting at is sexual greed. And essentially what Paul is saying is anything that does not, um, any sex uh, that happens outside uh, a male and a female within the context of marriage is off limits. And then he says, even all the way to your sexual fantasies in your head, greed, this kind of like, man, like I'm discontent with where I am, so I'm just kind of dreaming and daydreaming about these sexual fantasies. Paul goes, anything from outside of marriage to uh, sexual fantasies in your head, he goes, they can't, he goes, and anything in between, he goes, they have no place in God's family. And here's why. Sexual sin, it robs you of your humanity. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says sexual sin is a sin against your own body, and um, and it actually dehumanizes you. I, I, like has already been said, I serve with young adults, and time after time when I meet with couples, and I've experienced this in my own life, a relationship can be absolutely beautiful and amazing, and then as soon as the physical is introduced into the relationship, things get compli, uh, com- they don't, whatever that is, that, that happens too, but they get complicated, messy, there starts to be like gray, like the, 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 literally the relationship like starts to fall apart in front of me because sexual sin robs you of your humanity and God's design for flourishing. And then, uh, and then Paul moves over to speech and he says, listen, so if sexual sin robs you of your humanity, uh, sinning against somebody with your speech actually robs others of theirs. Does that make sense? And so he goes, he starts, so with sexual morality, he starts broad and then gets to greed, the heart. And then with uh, kind of these, this destructive speech, he starts with your heart. He says anger and then goes all the way and moves out to like maligning one another, slander. And he essentially lists all these words to say, listen, if something does not upbuild somebody else and if it's not a gift to them, now I tend to think everything that comes out of my mouth is a gift but it's not. But Paul's saying, listen, if it, doesn't, if, it, if it comes out of your mouth and it does not upbuild somebody and it does not, it's not a genuine gift to them, whether you're talking to them or about them to somebody else, it's, it's off limits. You don't let it come out of your mouth. Don't post it on Facebook. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter who it is. Human beings are made in the image of God and we do not destroy others of their, of their humanity by what we say about them. Now, I think a point needs to be made here about these kind of two lists of sins. Um, it's interesting that of anything Paul chose, he chose these two things, which I think is to make this point. 
God is just as concerned with our speech as he is our sexuality. God is just as concerned with our speech as our sexuality. Now, I was raised in the church, like many of you, and I know not all of you, but I think sometimes in the church, we, we rail people who are struggling with sexual sin. It's like they're the worst. And yet we slander the actual act behind their back. Like we slander them. And then what Paul's saying, listen, is like, no, your speech and your slander is just as messy, is just as sinful as the sexual sin. Yes, sexual sin matters, but your speech matters just as much. And I think that has a lot of implications for a church, for a community. Let me say this. I've seen, I've seen divisive speech tear apart a community in 710 10 times faster than sexual sin. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter or sexual sin is not a big deal. I'm just saying the, the power and the potential for evil and good are, are just as powerful in speech and in sex. And I think Paul would want us to know that. Uh, and then moving on, Paul, uh, in this passage, uh, he gives three reasons as to why we need to put these things to death in our life. I love it. He's not, God's not like a parent who says, just listen to me because I told you. And although God is God, he can do whatever he wants. He's kind enough to give us reasons as to why to put these things to death. And the first one is found in verse six, and it actually comes as a warning, and this is it, that the wrath of God is coming. Now, I think sometimes when we think about uh, God, we think like he just woke up someday and said, man, they really like to have sex. Let's tell them to stop doing it. You know, like, man, they enjoy it so much. Let's just tell them to stop because they need to give me glory. You know, like, we just, like, we just think that God just kind of, like, dreamed up, like, this random list of, like, these are the bad things, these are the good things. Like, listen to me because I'm God. But listen, God is, um, he is beyond committed and for his world and his people. Uh, he absolutely wants to see his world flourish like a father. Like, we just had our first daughter, and I'm just telling you, oh my gosh, like, I love her so much. And I'm already thinking of the 15 rules I'll give her in dating that she can't do. But out of the heart is because I love her so much. And so I put these things, these, these uh, rules in place because I love her. In the same way, uh, my wife's a teacher. She just finished her fourth year of teaching. Uh, mad respect to you teachers out there. You guys do a great job. Um, but I've just, I watch my wife love her students, and she loves her students, and because she's so for her students, what she does is she sets up rules in the classroom. So there's harmony among the students. It's the best environment for learning. And every now and then, it barely happens because junior hires are really well behaved. A junior hire will step outside of those rules. And after you know, a warning and an invitation, hey, come submit to the rules of flourishing in this classroom because we're gonna have a lot of fun. What do you do at one point when somebody refuses to submit to it? The rules of flourishing, you have to remove them, right? In the same way, God says, listen, I, I have to get destructive speech and, uh, and distorted sexuality out of this world. It dehumanizes people and it prevents flourishing from happening. And so when I come to judge the world on the day, I have to remove those things. And if you don't want to follow me and my, my, uh, my law of flourishing, then I have to remove you too. It just makes sense. And so the greater the love, the greater the capacity for God's wrath. It's because he loves so much that he gets upset when things hurt his image, humanity. So that's the first reason. The second reason uh, we see to put these things to death is that you have a new identity. This is found in verse nine. Uh, Paul says this. He says, since, that's a because, a reason, 
you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now listen, notice what Paul says. He doesn't say, because you are trying to put off, do this. He says, past tense, certain, it's been done. You have put off the old self. And so when Paul is writing to these Christians, he's saying, listen, you have a new identity. You are, being, you are being remade into the image of God. You are being rebuilt into the human being that God created you. See, following Jesus uh, is not denying your humanness, but it's embracing your humanness. I think sometimes in today's culture, it's like, I just gotta find the real me. And what Paul is saying, listen, in Christ is the real you. And he's saying, you have a new identity. Most scholars think he's uh, thinking about baptism here. When he's saying, you have put off and you did put on. Because what would happen in the early churches when they would baptize people, uh, they would come to the baptismal and they would wear like kind of these old like grave clothes, I guess is the best way to describe it. And what they would do is, is they would come and they'd literally take off these grave clothes and they would step into the baptismal, they'd be baptized. And as they come out, they would be given a new set of white robes representing the righteous, uh, righteousness of Christ that they've been clothed in. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, You've already taken off your old self. You are a new person. Nothing's changing that. So become who you already are. Bring your life into alignment with what's already true about you, which I think is so freeing when we think about Christian change. Because what Paul is saying is, listen, we work and we change from an identity, not for an identity. As Christians, we seek transformation in our life, uh, not for an identity, not trying to earn something from God, but because you are already gods. We actually pursue transformation. The third reason he gives is in verse 11, is uh, we put these things to death because you are part of a new family. He says, here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So Paul puts like this list, and I'm not gonna go through each of those kind of like types of people. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, you have been saved into a beautiful, but really, really diverse and messy family. Like a beautiful family. But when you come to church, you realize, man, nobody's like me here. Like if it weren't for Jesus, there's no way I'd be sitting next to them. You know, like we, we, don't, we don't say that, but we, yeah, we, we, we feel that way. I feel that way. And what Paul is saying is, listen, we stand together as one family regardless of gender, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. And we stand together unified in the ways of Jesus, following Jesus as Lord, as a unified witness to the world. And when we, when we actually stand together within the diversity following Jesus, we actually show the world that God's kingdom really has become because there's a new diverse family here and God's recreating people into his image. That's what we show the world and it's beautiful and amazing, is it not? And what Paul is saying, listen, if you want to destroy that in a nanosecond, let destructive speech and distorted sexuality ramp it in your family. Again, I would just say, think about, think about the people you don't talk to because of sexual sin. Think about the things that have been said within family, like uncles, aunts don't even talk to each other because when we were 12, aunt, you know, it's like, like but it, it happens. It, it pulls apart community. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, if you want to destroy the beauty and the unity of God's family, let these things in the family like a virus. Not just because they're bad, but because they actually pull us apart, they tear us apart. Does that make sense? So that's the third reason. And then, then Paul says this, he goes, therefore, 
put to death, and you rid yourself of these things. Now, um, in my life, over the years, I have been really good at managing my sin. And what I mean by that is, what can I do to buy myself another week? You know, I think about like, um, oh my gosh, when I was in high school, I won't go into all the stories, but you know, 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-old Corey, just like, I just, like, sin management, like, that was my thing. Like, if I can just last another week, oh, lasted two days, like, well, let's just let's kind of keep this tame. Like, let's just keep the sexual passion tame, and let's just keep, you know, like, and it's just like this management, and that's what we do. Like, we just try to, like, keep a, a hold on our sin so it doesn't hurt the people we love too much, and so it doesn't, you know, hurt me too much. But Paul, when he's, he's using this language of put to death or rid yourself, he's saying don't manage your sin, murder your sin, I want to say that again. Don't manage your sin. Murder your sin. It's the one time you're allowed to be a murderer as a Christian, and it's towards your sin. And I think that really matters because what Paul is saying is, listen, don't even let it breathe. Execute it. Like, this is your hit list. Like, if you were, like, a hit person, like, this is the list. If you see it, put it to death. Like, get it out of your life. Rid yourself of these things. Because if you, if you don't destroy your old self, your old self will destroy you. And if you don't destroy your old self, your old self will start to destroy you and the people that you love and the unified family that we've been brought into. If this was like an infection in your foot, like cut out the infection before it spreads to the rest of your body. Like you can actually cut it out now. When it spreads to the rest of your body, it's gonna be a lot harder work. And we know this from experience. We know this from experience. So when I was in high school, back to high school, um, my parents are here. Hi, guys. So they used to, in order to like help me uh, make a little bit more money, like in between like football and basketball and all the other really important things that I was doing at 17 and 18, um, I would pull weeds and do yard work in, like, in the backyard. And of course, all the like weeds come in the yard at like the ho- like, hottest time of the year. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, it's 105 degrees. Like, let's let the weeds grow. And so I would, uh, I would go out there and I'd have to, yeah, pull weeds. And so one of the things that I used to do, so like if there's some weeds, like you just grab it, like you touch it and the root comes out. You're like, oh, great. That was, you know, throw it in the bucket. But there is like some big weeds sometimes where it's just like, oh my gosh, like I got to get this out. And I would like, you know, pull it and it's like the, then the head would come off, you know, but the root is still in the ground, guaranteeing that like next week it's going to grow back. And so uh, what I would do is I would take off the heads of some of the weeds that were too hard to pull, and I would just cover it with rocks. Pull off the head, I would just cover it with rocks, and I'm like, this is going to buy me another week. Mom and dad will say, great job, Corey, you did such a good job, here's $20. And, uh, and so and what Paul's saying is, listen, don't do that. Like, don't, don't do that. Like, you need to, like, uproot, you need to uproot, like, the weed in the backyard, and like you need to actually pull it out of the ground because if, if the root's still there, it's gonna grow back next week. Get it out. And I think what's so genius about Christian transformation and what Paul's about to say is if you wanna guarantee that a weed won't grow in the same spot, you know what you do? You uproot it and then you plant something else in its place. You uproot the weed and then you, print, then you plant a flower in its place. Because if it's uprooted and there's something else growing there, a weed can't grow back. Does that make sense? And so that's where he's kind of going when he goes to what we're supposed to put on in verse 12. Look at what he says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, again, I just want to say he's calling the church to change from a place they already are. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love like kind of holds everything together like a seatbelt in its uh, proper place. And so, um, and so what Paul is saying here, I love it. He's saying, listen, if you want to uproot sin in your life, or if you want to put off the old, uh, you, have to, you have to plant something else in its place. If you want to uproot death in your life, you need to plant life in its place. For example, uh, let me show you how this works with this passage. If you want to uproot sexual sin or slander, you need to plant compassion in its place. Because when you start seeing your boyfriend or girlfriend or the person on the screen um, or whoever it is on the app as made in the image of God and you have compassion for them, sexual activity of them is not something that you're ultimately gonna want. If you wanna slander somebody, but you start seeing them as the image of God, as somebody that God loves, guess what you won't wanna do? Slander them. So you uproot and then you plant. So if you wanna uproot selfish ambition, always having to be competitive, be better than everybody, you have to plant humility in its place. If you wanna uproot anger, you need to plant patience. If you wanna uproot bitterness, you need to plant forgiveness. It's pull, uproot, plant in its place. Here's why this matters. Whatever you behold, you will become. Whatever you behold, you will become. And so often in my life and in the coffees I have with countless young adults, it's like, hey, I can't stop looking at pornography, right? I'm sitting there. And what happens is all they can do and think in their mind is they just behold this. They just look at the old, they look at the old, they look at the old. And because they are beholding it, they actually become even more consumed by it. And so what happens is if you focus on sex, even if you're trying to like actually get that out of your life, you become consumed with sex. If you focus on pride, you actually become more consumed with your pride. If you focus on bitterness, you actually become consumed with bitterness. And when Paul says, hey, behold these things, compassion, bearing with one another in love, forgiveness, patience, is when you actually look at these things, the clearest picture of them for us as followers of Jesus is Christ. So it's, yes, facing the old in your life, whatever it is, yes, it's obviously acknowledging that, uprooting it, but then Paul says, but then fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if you want to become like Jesus, behold him. Whatever you behold, you'll become. And I think another point to be made about this is uh, this imagery of uh, how you dress um, is that you need to get dressed every day. Like, seems really obvious, um, like just because you got dressed Friday morning doesn't mean you're good to go for Sunday morning, you know? And, um, and, and what Paul is saying is, listen, you need to deliberately, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to deliberately choose Christ every single morning. You have to get up and be like, man, I'm gonna put on the old clothes if I don't behold Christ. I need to put on compassion because I woke up, I don't know, bitter. Or I woke up angry. I need to put on, you have to choose Christ every day. When I was in college, um, I remember actually this very passage. I put it to memory because I was coming out of a season trying to uproot a lot of the first list in my life. And I remember walking to class just being like, man, I want to change so bad. And I, I put this to memory. And I remember walking, I was like, put to death, put on. Put to death, put on. And it was my version of choosing Christ every single day. This takes prayer, it takes practice, and it takes effort. Listen, Christ is not opposed to effort. 
Christ is opposed to earning. And I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we get scared when we talk about actually like, Paul talks about putting his body into submission and beating it and making it obedient to Christ. Like the gospel does not free us from effort, it frees us from earning. And so Paul's saying like, get after it, do whatever, like literally do whatever you need to do. Talk to whoever you need to, do whatever you need to do. Because like as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you realize it's God working through you the whole time to bring about his change and transformation. So the gospel is not, not opposed to uh, effort, it's opposed to earning. And um, let me say one more thing about this and then we'll kind of breeze through the rest of this passage. I think when I look at this list, like nobody has a problem with it. Like let's just be honest. Nobody has a problem with compassion. It's like whether you're a Jesus follower or not in here, you could be sitting in and going, yeah, compassion, humility, oh, yeah, that's great, for the most part. Nobody has a problem with this until there's actually a reason to actually need it. You know? It's like nobody has a problem with wanting to forgive until I actually need to forgive my wife. <laughs> like nobody has a problem with uh, humility until there's, you're not recognized, and then it's like, well, I can't be humble, you know? And uh, I think sometimes we it just sounds soft, doesn't it? Like... Like, oh, let's just put on love, you know? And it sounds soft. It sounds fluffy. Like, aren't we just gonna get walked over? Like, if I actually do this, won't I actually just get walked over in my life? Um, And I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you, but maybe you can relate. I think sometimes I'm actually just threatened by how costly and demanding this way of life actually is. Like, I think of Jesus who's standing before the council and he's getting spit on. What's the easy thing to do? retaliate. He's getting uh, mocked. Hey, no, I really am the, you know, I really am the son of God. Or he's on the cross and they're just, you know, he's naked on the cross and people are just completely, uh, yeah, embarrassing him. And what does he do? He's praying for his enemy. That's the most costly, demanding way of life I ever know. And I don't like it because I feel like I'll lose, right? You feel like you're going to lose. But what Christ says is when you lose, you actually win. And when you choose to lose, we actually win. Because in Christ's death, that's actually how life came. Does that make sense? And so Paul is saying, put to death the old, put on the new. And then the result of this in the community is that you will get a community that is centered on Christ. When you, have, when you let love have its full effect in a community, what you get is a community that is centered on Christ. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So that word let can actually mean like as a result. So like when you put off the old and when you put on the new, what you get is Christ's peace, verse 15. You get vibrant, beautiful, flourishing relationships, the type the world craves. You get Christ's word, verse 16. Uh, We will be like a palace that's like filled with the treasures and the wisdom of the gospel. And then in verse 17, you'll get Christ's name. We'll be a family that does everything in every place for no other name but Jesus. Now here's the thing, we all want that type of community. We want those types of families. And Paul's saying if you actually want that, the means is actually putting off the old and putting on the new and seeking transformation in your life. 
And he says, and when you get that type of community that's centered on Christ, you want to know where Christ is? Find the gratefulness and the thankfulness. Three times in those verses, he says, be thankful, sing with gratitude in your hearts, and do everything from a place of thankfulness for the name of Jesus. And so, which is so funny, because when, when thankfulness permeates my life, and I'm actually like alive to the beauty and the gifts of God in the world, you know what I don't want? The things on that first list. So gratitude is like the silver bullet that actually puts the like entitlement and discontentment that leads to those practices in the first list of death. Does that make sense? And so Paul says, listen, if you want a community centered on Christ, put off the old, put on the new. And as we kind of wrap up here, um, I just want to ask you two questions. As you're kind of listening, um, you know, we come in week in, week out, and God's spirit is always at work. But I'm trusting that he was in work in your mind and in your heart. What in your life do you need to uproot right now? Like, what in your life have you been managing, not murdering, but you're just kind of like, it's there, like your accountability partners know it's there, or maybe not. <laughs> but what in your life do you, you need to uproot? And then my second question is, what do you need to plant in its place? Is it compassion? Is it patience? Is it forgiveness? And then what do you need to do to actually do that? <laughs> Giving yourself, because you are a follower of Jesus, because you have a new identity, because you have the spirit of the living God, you can actually live a victorious Christian life. I really believe that. I've seen it true in my life, and I've seen it true in others. And I want to just, as we end here, I just want to give you, um, I just want to give you one picture. So Jesus, he's crucified. He's, uh, he's buried in the grave. And then when God raises him to new life, do you know what the first thing Jesus does is? He folds his grave clothes. You know why he folds his grave clothes? Because he doesn't need them anymore. And you know what scripture says? He says, your life, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, is now one with Jesus, which means the power of Jesus is inside of you for change, which means if Jesus doesn't need his grave clothes anymore, neither do you. And I think it's time for some of us in our life, for me for the first time, to actually believe that we actually can fold up the clothes, leave them in the grave, and then follow Jesus to resurrection life. Amen? I want that. I want that for you. I want that for this church. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we love you. And um, God, we're so thankful. You're so good. You're so kind. Uh, thank you for the grace that you just shower over and over on my life and the lives of uh, my brothers and sisters here. And God, even those who don't know you who might be here, and thank you for the way that you pursue and chase all people. And so, Lord, all are invited to your table, regardless of how messy and you, Lord, you actually, you forgive us for the mess, and then, you, uh, then you, you seek to change us. And so, Lord, may we open ourselves up to you, and may we seek transformation by your power. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.